Today on Ag News Daily. The year I was just doing this because I thought it was the most responsible way to do it because that's the way it's always been done. But it's really fantastic that the scientists are kind of, you know, adding credence to the way that we've done things for millennia. Good afternoon and happy Thursday from the Ag News Daily podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I've got to say, my days have just been really wacky this week. Yesterday, I thought it was Tuesday. And then this morning, my alarm clock woke me up and I was so excited because I thought it was Friday. And then I had the awful realization that it was only Thursday. Well, I wish it was Friday because today I started out my day by getting locked out of my office. So that was super fun. Yeah, I probably am having just a little bit of a better day than you are. I mean, I work from home, so I don't really get locked out of my bedroom or anything. So honestly, I don't know what that is like to go through, but I'm glad that you made it back in. Yeah, me too. Otherwise, you would have been doing the podcast without me, Ashton. Well, nothing I couldn't handle, but I'm glad that you're on, Delaney, because I always like talking to you. Well, the feeling is mutual, Ashton, but... uh I tell you what, that's probably enough pleasantries. People don't need to listen to too much of that. They want they they came for the news, so let's give them some news. I've got some news here. I don't think I mentioned it yesterday on the podcast, so I wanted to make sure we talked about it today because this has been causing some really bullish sentiment, especially in the corn market. China has now recently announced that they are likely to hit a record-breaking 28 million metric tons of imports for the 2020-2021 marketing year because they are continuing to need to feed. That was a little bit of a tongue twister there. They're continuing to need to feed their rising livestock herd, more specifically their rising hog herd. And so we've continued to see this demand push commodity markets higher. We've also seen, of course, weather concerns pushing markets higher, especially Brazilian weather concerns because the safrina corn crop, as we've talked about a little bit, I just got off the phone earlier today with Eric Snodgrass, who says Brazil is definitely having some really serious trouble there. Paraná and Mato Grosso area, two of their top uh, commodity producing areas are are really suffering from some dry weather. Of course, that pushes planting out a little bit here, going to push harvest out. And overall, all in all, it sounds like there's trouble in River City for the Brazilian corn crop. So we could see some even tighter stockpiles if we do see uh, production issues happening down in South America. And I tell you what, Ashton, we have seen quite the bull market right now. It's certainly been a wild ride for commodities. I know you don't follow them quite as closely, but today we saw corn touch limit up at one point. Couldn't quite follow through on that action, but it is a good time to be a corn or soybean farmer right now. Well, it's not too great of a time to be a corn or soybean farmer down in Venezuela. Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro on Wednesday pledged to resolve shortages of diesel that farmers say are complicating the planting and harvesting of crops. And he also urged the oil minister to boost domestic production of diesel. Maduro blamed the shortages on U.S. sanctions on state oil company Petrolas de Venezuela, otherwise known as PDVSA, The United States last October wound down on exemption to the sanctions that allowed PDVSA to swap crude exports for diesel imports. 
PDVSA distributes diesel free of charge, and truckers in recent months have reported long waits outside service stations, while farmers have denounced irregular distribution. Diesel output at Venezuela's refineries has been relatively steady, but exports say output is still below domestic demand. Also on Wednesday, Venezuela's Fedo Agro Farmers Group said that diesel shortages led to the loss of about 30% of the country's bean harvest and could complicate the upcoming corn planting season. Oil companies, aid groups, and one U.S. senator who wasn't named in this article have called on President Biden to lift the ban on diesel swaps because of humanitarian reasons, because this 30% loss on the soybean harvest and then this upcoming, you know, expected loss on corn, if this continues to, you know, kind of go the way that it is, could exasperate hunger in Venezuela where child malnutrition is on the rise. So I'm going to continue to watch this because there's kind of a lot of factors to kind of take into consideration if you, you know, think about our farmers here in the U.S., but also think about those in Venezuela who are kind of suffering right now. Yes, certainly. And, you know, I should have said that comment about it's a good time to be a corn and soybean farmer with a grain of salt because it is a good time commodity price wise. But we are continuing to see, like I said, weather issues. And it sounds like those are happening all over the globe right now, Ashton. So we could be in for a wild ride as far as it goes. Unfortunately, wheat has not been having quite as great of a show here. Commodity market wise, we've seen some really exciting moves. However, there is still a large swath of the United States that is dealing with some pretty severe drought. The latest drought monitor ending the week of April 20th showed that U.S. spring wheat area experiencing moderate to intense drought rose 3% to now 78% of that portion of the country. Corn area remained, however, at 17% and soybean area up just a point to 16% overall. So we're continuing to see drought conditions worsen, weaken a little bit here. And I was talking to Eric earlier today. Ashton, I don't know about you. You should, and, and West Texas is a little different because you guys, I mean, I typically imagine you are a little drier, but Eric was sharing with me earlier that his kids were out playing in the yard the other day and they dug a two foot hole and all the way down, it was dry, dry, dry. So there is some pretty big concerns over these dry conditions because down deep underneath the subsoil is really dry. And so again, I'm trying not to get too bullish, but this uh, this year could be an interesting year as far as weather is concerned. Well, another part of the world that's been experiencing some bad weather is France. We've talked about their frost damage a little bit, but looking deeper into it, specifically when it comes to the wine industry, vineyards this month could reduce wine production by nearly a third compared with recent years, citing initial estimates from wine producers. The losses, subject to revision as the frost impact becomes a clearer in the coming weeks, were projected at around 15 million hectoliters. And I did not know what a hectoliter is. So to kind of educate you a little bit, a hectoliter is the equivalent of 100 liters or around 133 standard wine bottles. So that is quite a bit of loss. I mean, I drink quite a bit of wine, but I mean... 
to think about 133 standard water bottles for just one hectoliter and the projected loss is 15 million hectoliters. That just, I can't even begin to imagine that much wine being put down the drain, basically. That's a lot of wine getting wasted, isn't it? It surely is. And this would put France on course for 2021 wine output between 28 and 32% below average volumes of recent years. So if you're a French wine drinker, honestly, I just get whatever is basically cheapest at this grocery store. So I don't know that I'm drinking French wine, but this could be a pretty big loss for that country. And of course, they're getting some help from the government. The the government has pledged around 1 billion euros in aid for agriculture. So there is that aid, but wine producers cited potential economic losses from the frost damage uh, 1.5 to 2 billion euros, which is about $2.4 billion, you know, here for US money. So that that's quite a big loss. And I can't even begin to imagine all of that wine being poured down the drain, like I said. Ashton, it makes me sad. It makes me sad too. I am a really big wine drinker. I mean, we have a ton of wineries here in Lubbock. So I basically just support local, but And, you know, if you're a French wine drinker, I might have to educate myself on, you know, what wines come from there. But that's a a big, big devastating loss. Mm, It certainly is. And as we look at losses, it appears that China's top hog producers have reported some very severe drop in first quarter profits. As of Wednesday, we saw pork prices fall. And they've also seen some increased costs to try and control African swine fever. So Wen's Foodstuff Group Co. LTD reported a 71% drop in profit margins, despite receiving a little boost from their poultry arm of the business. And they said lower hog prices have stifled production. Their inability to grapple with challenges caused by African swine fever have led to higher costs for producers. And hog prices have dropped 40% during the first quarter of 2021, pushing margins pretty tight for some pork processing facilities over there. Now, again, the caveat is that China is a communist country. So, you know, if we saw a facility or processing facilities here in the United States, you know, you look at the ethanol market, they had really, really tight margins to negative margins. If that were the case in China, they simply wouldn't shut down because they are a state-run entity. And so it creates a different type of dynamic there for their market, Ashton, because they don't have to worry about, I mean, they do to some extent have to worry about profit and loss, but not so much compared to what the U.S. has to suffer through. So certainly interesting to see how this dynamic will play out. Well, Delaney, one thing that we forgot to mention at the top of the podcast is that today is Earth Day. And for, I think it kicked off, I can't remember. Well, I guess it kicked off today. Today and tomorrow, President Biden is holding a international climate summit. So it kicked off today and we've gotten some reports on what exactly is happening at this summit. President Biden earlier set a goal to reduce U.S. greenhouse gas emissions by at least 50% over the next 10 years. He unveiled that plan, of course, today at that summit, and we are happy to report that China came to the playing table at this summit, and India did as well, as well as some other countries. The new U.S. target is almost double that of the nation's earlier Paris Climate Agreement commitment. The White House says there are multiple paths to reach the emission goals by 2030, and that millions of jobs will be created as a result. It also said that agriculture and forests play a role by enhancing carbon capture, 
and a range of programs and measures through ecosystems, including that of soil. But the White House said that there's multiple paths, but I can't report on exactly, you know, what those specifics are. Hopefully here in the future, I mean, since this goal is 2030, that seems like a ways away, but really in the grand scheme, it's not too far away. Hopefully we can look into some of those strategies to reach that goal here in the near future. Absolutely, Ashen. And we are having a Earth Day interview, themed interview for today. I'm very excited about this one. So in the meantime, before we get to that, should we talk markets real fast? Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, we saw some excitement today in the grain markets. We saw quite a few contract months in the corn futures touch limit up. And we saw soybeans not have limit up days, but certainly nothing to complain about there all across the board. And we'd also had some pretty big moves to the upside. Starting things off here in the May corn contract up 25 cents today to close at 6.50 and a half. The Dece up 16 and three quarters cents to close at 5.53 and a quarter. In the soybean pits today, the May contract up 36 cents to close at 15.33 and a quarter. The November up 28 cents to close at 13.38 and a quarter. In the wheat pits, Chicago May contract up 37 and a half cents, excuse me, up 37 cents today to close at $7.10. The Dece up 31 and a quarter to close at 7.11 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets, of course, when we see big moves like this in the grain markets, livestock and the protein markets get a little concerned about feed needs, and we certainly saw that play out today. June live cattle down $1.40 to close at $1.15.85. The August down $1.25 to close at $1.16.72 and a half. Feeder cattle lower as well with the May contract shedding $2.57.5 to close at $1.3702.5. The August down $3.55 to end at $1.4837. And in lean hogs today, the May contract shedding just $0.15 cents to end at $1.0745. The June down $0.97.5 to close at $1.0355. Wrapping things up with the Class 3 dairy milk futures, the weakness continued into the dairy parlor. As the May contract shed 48 cents to close at 18.68, the June down 37 cents to end at 18.82. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our interview for today. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Amy Rose Bull, who is from Virginia free farm. And we're going to talk about a couple of different things. But before we get into that, Amy Rose, I just want to thank you for coming on today and sharing your story with us. Oh, thank you for having me today. So before we actually start talking about Virginia free farm and what you guys are all about, I want to know a little bit more about you because judging from the website, you are probably a pretty neat woman. I mean, you're a veteran, you are (laughs) You've been a nurse and you're a part of an indigenous tribe. I don't know how to pronounce it. So I'll leave that up to you. But why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Okay. So I am actually enrolled in the Abenaki tribe. Um, My family is from the Odenak Reserve in Canada. And um, I'm also Penobscot. Um, Most tribes, you can only be enrolled in one tribe. And there's a lot of us that are mixed. But um, so I'm Abenaki. I live down here in Virginia, um, and I actually work with several of the Virginia local tribes here on food sovereignty initiatives. What a neat background, Amy Rose. And so as you look at the uh, Virginia Free Farm that you started quite a few years ago, talk to us about how that journey started for you. So I feel like a lot of people expect it to be some sort of like a profound impetus, uh, if you will. 
really? Do you want the honest answer of how this started? Oh, for sure. Okay. So I love seeds. I am a seed keeper and um, I do keep seeds for a purpose. I do, um, I do a lot of plant outs of, um, for preserving um, endangered indigenous seeds. But also, in a way, I have no self-control when it comes to seeds. And I guess you could say I'm somewhat of a seed hoarder. And I also have no self-control in the garden when I start planting in the summertime or in the spring and summer. And so basically, this was born out of, um, it was born out of my inability to control myself and planting far, far too many plants in the garden um and i do love to feed people i joke all the time that food is the love language of my grandmother but um so i'm basically um i basically started this on accident because i couldn't control myself in the garden and ended up with this massive garden and so much food that i the first thought i had in my head was well i'll give this away and then i started really getting into um the types of food and the situations that arise at our local food pantry, people applying for SNAP. I really started doing a deep dive into uh, food insecurity and subsequently food justice. I got down that rabbit hole. And for me, um, I'm sure I can't speak for all indigenous people, but I do know that for me with that background, um, food sovereignty is a big thing. Food security is a big thing, um, especially since, I guess you could say cultural violence was originally done upon us by controlling our food sources. And so I, I don't know, it's kind of spiraled out of control in my own life into becoming me feeding as many people as I possibly can. But also at the same time, I do work to empower people to grow their own food. We um, teach them to grow. We provide plants and seeds. We actually provide ducks and chickens too. For uh, self-sufficiency, anybody that wants to um, to grow for themselves, because I realized very early on that me just handing out all these this nutritious food, it was great. It was better quality than what you would get at the food pantry or whatnot. But um, but really, the key thing was working myself out of the job for this nonprofit to be um, effective long term. We needed to have both top down in the form of donations and grassroots growing bottom up in the form of putting in family gardens, putting in school gardens, uh, community gardens, uh, tribal gardens, and everything in between to be able to really strengthen the community more to be growing a lot of their, more of their own food. So Amy Rose, I'm really interested in learning a little bit more about the indigenous methods that you use at Virginia Free Farm. I know on your website you talk about controlled burn and a few other things, but from an Indigenous standpoint, what exactly are you doing to kind of keep true to those methods? Oh, that's such a great question. Okay, thank you for asking that. Um, so I know that I'm going to say, I guess a lot of this is really trendy right now, um, which is I mean, it's it's kind of troubling to some people, but it's also kind of awesome in the same way because regenerative agriculture has become very popular. And I do believe that they are starting to try to draw from some of these techniques and prescribed burn is really important. Um, 
And so we don't use, we don't till, we don't use pesticides, herbicides, any, uh, anything like that. And fire is actually one of the most effective tools that I have for growing traditionally and being able to grow in a responsible way without the input of chemicals that are both dangerous and expensive, to be honest with you. So it's a practical thing too. Um, what I do is we try to, obviously I cannot be, um, corralling wild game <laughs> through certain areas of the farm. It's just not practical. So what I am doing is we are using our livestock in certain areas that we will mark off that say, I want to have a garden in this area of the property in a year or so, maybe two years. So what we'll do is concentrate some of our stock in that area. Um, and so they'll eat the grass down, eat the weeds, they'll fertilize with all the lovely black gold gifts that they give to us i don't want to be gross (laughs) but um you know where that's going and then once we move those animals out of that area we'll do a controlled burn and what that does is it kills a lot of the eggs and larva that's in the soil kills a lot of those roots um and we'll let that burn down smolder and add valuable potash to the the soil too and then that way the roots and the um the kind of like micro the mat and every everything that's underneath there farther down doesn't get disturbed so that carbon stays in the ground locked in and only the top area is prepped the way that we need it for planting so it's it's funny because like now that's the way that our families have always done it especially the women because the women of uh, a lot of the northeastern tribes my tribe in particular um, women were traditionally the farmers um and that's the way it's always been done. So we've got that traditional ecological knowledge that we've been gifted and passed down generation after generation. But now the wonderful thing is Western science is taking our stories. We've got the stories, but Western science or Western um, science has a number. And so now we're kind of getting, um, there's like a, now there's a little bit of affirmation to the way things have always been done and it's being picked up by more and more people, which is great because it's a much more ecologically sound way to be planting and growing. I believe I read recently once or somewhere that I think one acre of no-till that's properly intensively managed can sequester 15 tons of carbon. That's amazing to me. And here I was just doing this because I thought it was the most responsible way to do it because that's the way it's always been done. But it's really fantastic that the scientists are kind of, you know, adding credence to the way that we've done things for millennia. Yeah, it's certainly probably nice to get some affirmation that science is backing these things up. And I don't think that these type of trends are going away because you look at the current administration, they're pushing really hard for agriculture to adopt some of these regenerative agricultural practices. Amy Rose, as you look at the future of the Virginia Free Farm, what goals or things do you guys, what what are you going to tackle next? Oh my goodness. So we have so many projects going on and I am honestly very hopeful about the new administration. Um, Jewel Bronow, who is now the deputy secretary, I had the opportunity to work with her on EFOD task force um, for the equitable um, investment access fund for BIPOC farmers, which was really great. And I really think that she is absolutely going to do the right thing for agriculture in, the, in our country and the future of agriculture. Um, and it's funny you say, it's definitely not going away. It, it keeps um, it keeps 
kind of changing. I mean, it's whatever marketing buzzword is popular at the time, you get like sustainable agriculture and permaculture, regenerative agriculture. And I feel like they're all kissing cousins. It's just whatever people want to promote at that point in time, which is good. I love it. I love that the movement is changing. Um, so we, we have so many things going on. And I kind of want to say that Virginia Free Farm, we're kind of here home base in Kent store. We're the center of the spokes of the wheel and the wheel doesn't turn without everybody else intact. And we've got so many different projects. We've got six satellite farms going this year. We have um, connected with the RVA community fridges program, and there will be some go- fridges going into central Virginia here in our immediate area as well, that we are funneling food and funds for the refrigerators into. Um, and then we've got the UPIC area to make uh, food and fresh match. Uh, Virginia has a fresh match program for SNAP benefits. We've got that. Um, the next big thing really is honestly, uh, we are going to start working on a juvenile justice um, diversion program. So what we want to do is we've been in touch with a couple of sheriffs from surrounding counties, some judges and um, uh, public defenders. And what we're going to do is instead of when these youth, when the youth get in trouble for something, say they're going to court, instead of them entering the juvenile justice system, what we want to do is get them and put them in Wednesday and Sunday mentoring programs to be able to learn to, you know, propagate vegetables, any sorts of crops. We've got greenhouse things to be done. We've got goats and pigs and chickens and ducks and have them start working with ruminants um, and our poultry and um, gain some more skills, get out of trouble, have something to do and avoid entering the system at all. Hopefully that that, hopefully that'll be successful because I think they're valuable skills to learn. And we don't need any more people in jail or any more people entering that system and then suffering through a cycle of recidivism for the rest of their lives. Amy Rose, like you said, there's so much going on at Virginia Free Farm, and I wish that we had enough time to cover all of that stuff, but it would probably take a full podcast, not just (laughs) an interview. But for those people who want to learn a little bit more about what it is you guys are doing, where can they find you at online? We are at virginiafreefarm.org and we are at Virginia Free Farm on Facebook and Instagram. Well, Amy Rose, thank you again so much for coming on today and talking to us about Virginia Free Farm. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, again, a big thank you there to Amy Rose for joining us today. Certainly interesting to hear about her background and how she incorporates that into their farming practices, Ashton. Absolutely, Delaney. And we're always having really exciting interviews. So folks, be sure to tune in at agnewsdaily.com and follow along with us on social media as we also share some awesome stories there at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with that Delaney. Should we let the people go? Let's let him go.